Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about a topic that was brought up by one of my members of the AT Parenting community. She actually is bringing up a lot of good topics, and is I'm picking a lot of her topics to do on my podcast, so I appreciate her. And she wanted me to talk about how to not compare our kids to other kids. Do you do that? I know I have really struggled with that, especially in the earlier days. And I thought it was a good topic because I love topics that I feel like can resonate with so many of us. The more broad general topics, the better, because on some level, most of us raising kids with anxiety or OCD had those moments or are still having those moments where we're like, man, why can't you be like Tommy, you know, or my sister's kid or my best friend's kid, right? And even if we don't say that out loud, which a lot of us probably don't, we're saying it to ourselves in our head. And I want to go into that kind of as a pep talk for both you and I about how to see things maybe from a different perspective. So I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you are going to listen to this. So before we get started, a couple of little housekeeping things. I do want to let you know that I have back by popular demand, my self-care series, my free self-care series is going to be starting August 19th. So just in a week or two, depending on when you're listening to this, I do this twice a year. So I do two different series that are free and I do them both twice a year. So I do four series a year for free. It takes a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of commitment because I dive really deep and I do Facebook lives and I do a lot of stuff. I really get to know people, but I do like doing them. I do them every three months. So if you have not taken my self-care free series before, please join me. And if you've taken it before, you're totally welcome to join again. I have a lot of people who take it every time I do it. So you can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Pretty easy. And I'm going to be talking about self-care for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. I am not going to be talking about bubble bath or chocolate or Netflix, although those are all fantastic things. I'm going to be talking about maybe what you wouldn't even consider self-care. So maybe I shouldn't even call it a self-care series, but I did and it's done. Um, So it is what it is, but I'm going to be talking to you about your mindset, your perceptions, how you view your child's issues, your own childhood, and how that plays into kind of how we show up as parents. I talk about your support system. I talk about your physical stress. Ironic, not ironically, that's the wrong word, but interestingly, When we work on those things, we can make a huge impact on our child's anxiety or OCD. So it is really like killing two birds with one stone because you will feel better. I guarantee it. If you really dive into my series, you will hundred percent feel better as a person physically and mentally. And it's kind of like a therapy boost, even though it's not therapy, but also your child will benefit. And I, I always get emails from people months and months after I do this series It's fascinating saying what an impact it had on their family and also their child with anxiety or OCD. So I hope you'll join me. You can sign up at any time between now and while the series is running and then it shuts down. So it's atparentingsurvivalseries.com. Hope to see you over there. I do have a pop-up Facebook group. You don't have to be on Facebook for it. You'll get 
emails with the video link and it's on demand. So there's three videos in this series. They're 30 minutes long. They're really short and you can watch them at midnight. You can watch them at five in the morning. It doesn't matter. They're up for the week that the series is live, but people dive in deep and they join the Facebook group that I create just for the series. The Facebook group that I create for the series is not the one, not my main one, and it's not my membership one. It goes away as soon as the series is over. And it is for me to go in there and I do bonus live classes in there. And we dive deep into really supporting each other and me teaching you different perspectives and mind shifts on how to uh, help your child with anxiety or OCD and how to help yourself. So hope to see you there. I also want to say thank you for NoCD. NoCD is sponsoring this episode. They provide online OCD therapy in the US, the UK, Australia, and Canada. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to even just see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Um, I think if you're not sure if your child has anxiety or OCD, it's worth even just getting an assessment from them. It's virtual. And a lot of times we struggle finding an OCD therapist. And now NoCD is really filling in that gap. So you can go to treatmyocd.com. They do have therapists in all 50 states and around the world, like I said. And I will leave a link in the show notes. So let's get into how to not compare your child to others and easier said than done. And this is really just kind of a, a discussion for us to just think about this for a minute, because I think sometimes we don't pause and think about it for starters. You're not alone. It's like a really normal thing to do. And we shouldn't feel guilty about it. It's just human nature to say, man, I wish that my child could do that or function like that. Or it looks like life is so easy for them. And it's very easy to get into that slippery slope of why me and get into that victim mentality. And although we can't control those thoughts, we can control what we do with them, just like we tell our kids, right? And are those thoughts productive? Obviously no, right? Because it's, it puts us in that victim mentality. It puts us in the, a negative perspective and that doesn't help us. It doesn't help our kids. Um, but I want to go through a couple of different things. When my first child started having issues, I was in a very different place emotionally. I had intense, acute social anxiety, definitely major social anxiety disorder. And she was a really, really difficult baby and then a difficult toddler. And I was mortified by my inability to control her. She was hopping all over the furniture. And like I had, I was an infant and toddler mental health specialist. So talk about embarrassing with social anxiety. And there were a couple of times where I had to bring her to meetings and they're totally flexible and she would be out of control. Or we had like a, a family day where we went to the zoo and everybody got to bring like their, their families. And my kid who was like, I think she was like probably two or three at the time was like dysregulated, was like climbing all over. She was like running away and I couldn't keep her contained. And then I was trying to put her in the stroller and she wouldn't stay in the stroller. And I remember even going into other people's homes as an infant and toddler mental health specialist, going in there to do therapy and give them support, feeling jealous (laughs) of their issues. I was like, oh my gosh, if this was like their biggest issue. I remember I had one family and they were like really concerned that their kid could not sit on a blanket. It was like the 4th of July and they were really concerned that their kid couldn't sit on a blanket like the other kids who were two and three, you know, instead they were like running around and they couldn't be controlled. And they were also upset that their child was like eating the dog food or wouldn't leave the dog food alone in their house and that they had to actually put it away. And that was upsetting. And I was thinking, 
oh my gosh, <laughs> if that's your only problem, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg at my house. <laughs> you know, so I'm sharing that with you because that's where I started, like feeling so unbelievably overwhelmed that I had these issues and, and my issues were probably maybe different than some of yours, but I spent a lot of energy comparing. And I think we do that, especially in the early days. But for those of us that have kids with anxiety and OCD, we may not, we may never stop doing that. It's a terrible thing that we do as parents. Oh, is your child walking? No, mine's not. Ooh, mine, mine's already walking. Is your child eating solid foods? Does your child talk yet? Does your child know their ABCs? It's like this rat race that we've created parentally that is so harmful because first of all, kids developmentally change and grow at different paces. But when we have kids that not only, you know, our, our typical parents comparing those type of notes, we're thinking my child can't go to like dance class because they're having a panic attack in the parking lot or you know, you get to just like have a normal morning going to school and I have to like basically put out major fires and like practically drag my kid to school so that we can function. I have to stay by my phone all day to see if the nurse is going to call. Like I live under a lot of stress. The thing is that I have learned is that everybody has their albatross. Everybody has their struggles. And we have to remember that as people, as human beings, that what you see is not always what you get. In fact, I would say majority of the time, if not all the time, I don't like to speak in definitives, but what you see is not what you get. You know, Instagram, Facebook, that that's really like the highlights of the best of the best. And you know that, right? I mean, I'm not saying anything that you don't know already. This is more like a pep talk for both of us. But when you get a front seat to people's problems as a therapist, you start to realize even a lot more that that pretty picture that you're seeing is not as perfect as you thought. And it doesn't mean that everyone has a child, obviously, with anxiety or OCD. Everybody has a different struggle, whether it's a marital struggle or there's abuse in the family or there's a health issue or there's a financial issue. Everybody's got their thing. Nobody's, you know, just gliding through life. It's just different for each person. So when you see your friends gliding through what seems like they're gliding through life, we have to realize that that's not necessarily accurate. In fact, it's not accurate. They probably have different issues and different struggles. So that goes without saying, we all get that intellectually, but it's something to remind yourself of. It kind of reminds me, and this is so like not related, but I'll say it anyway. It reminds me of a story that I heard once. I don't know if it was like an urban legend. I don't know exactly where it came from, but you know, I always get so annoyed when people are rude on the highway or like when I'm driving because I'm such a nice person that I like, I can't in the past, I like couldn't even stomach when someone was like just unfairly rude because I'm an anxious person, just like our kids and anxious people just have this like struggle with people who are not nice. <laughs> Cause we're just like, why would you do that? Like, why would you cut me off? Or why would you speed up? And then, you know, just be so mean. Like we're both going to the same place, but some story. And I think I've mentioned this on one episode before was, you know, someone was like speeding and cut them off. And then someone got really angry and they cut them off again. And then the other person lifted up the passenger's hand and they were like bleeding. The premise of the story was we don't always know why people are driving crazy. I mean, granted there's people who are just jerks, but we don't know. Right. I was actually even talking to my son 
and my daughter in the car on the way to school today. It's their first day of school because my kids all got COVID and I think it's just rampant. It's going to be really hard, but luckily they were asymptomatic. We quarantined and we're all good now. So that's awesome. But they are having their first day of school when actually school started a week ago. So that was really rough. But we had an amazing morning. They like no anxiety. Oh my gosh. I was like walking on eggshells because, you know, that anticipatory anxiety that we have as parents where I'm like, okay, it's the first day of school. I actually like, she's supposed to take calcium vitamins because we got all these lab work stuff came back all wonky. And so my youngest, her health is all a little off right now. And I didn't even want to give her like her calcium chews because I didn't want to like upset her stomach. I was just walking on eggshells, but that was all me. They did fine. So anyway, we were talking about someone at their school who just randomly bullies a whole bunch of people. They saw them walking and they were like, oh my gosh, that person's just so mean. And my daughter's like, yeah, that person's mean to me too. And they don't even know me. And we talked about how like, we don't know where that anger is coming from. Like they might have a really rough family life. We don't know like why people do the things they do. And it doesn't mean that it's okay, but we don't know where people are coming from. And the same goes for like their struggles. We don't know what people's struggles are and we can't make these assumptions because I bet you a lot of people don't know your struggles. They don't know the depth of your struggles. Like people don't know the depth of my struggles. I put on a very good face and I crumble behind closed doors by myself probably on a daily basis. You know, that's just where I'm at, but it's okay. You know, it's just part of the grief process, but a happy face is not always a happy life. I'm not saying that about me, but I'm saying that about people in general. But I want to move even deeper than that because I think that's an obvious thing to talk about. But it is very easy as well to focus on our kids' weaknesses or what they can't do versus what they can do. And sometimes we have to train our brain to focus on what gifts our kids are bringing us and also what is it about what we're comparing that is upsetting us. So that's actually two different things. Let's just break those down a little bit. So for me, some things that I compare my kids to versus other kids is directly related to my issues. And so I have social anxiety. So when my kids, um, you know, my, my son is quirky, you know, and he's different boys his age, aren't going to like him probably because he is just different. He likes to do crafts and jewelry, which by the way, and I know I'm getting on some tangents today, but just stick with me, please. I have channeled his grief and his OCD struggles into making jewelry. And he's really good with his hands and he started to get really, really good. So he like, he makes wire wrap jewelry, but then he started to like learn these techniques where he can make like the tree of life. And he started to get really into gemstones and crystals. He has always done chunky blankets, you know, like Chanel chunky blankets, and they're really good too. So while we were off for the summer, I created an Etsy store for him. So he has an Etsy store. So you know how like people are pushing like Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> I'm like pushing my kid's Etsy store. Go check it out. It's actually really good. It's brand new and I haven't advertised it. So he has like one sale so far and I haven't like written anything on there, but it's etsy.com slash, hold on a second. Is it shops or is it shop? I don't know. Um, but I'm going to tell you because... It's shop. So it's etsy.com shop slash. So it's etsy.com slash shop slash Xander crafts store crafts with an S check it out. And let me know what you think. 
But anyway, this does tie into what we're talking about because sometimes he triggers my social anxiety and like, I worry too much for him. I worry about him. I think like, why, why is it hard for my kids socially? And it's not hard for other kids socially. All three of my kids have social anxiety or different renditions of social anxiety. And I look at how small he is and I think, why can't he eat? You know, like we go on trips and it's such a struggle and I can get sucked into those things, but I can also like manually force myself. I'm like thinking of like a gear shift, you know, when you're driving, like you have to like force yourself to go into a different gear. And I think, what gifts is he bringing? Like, what can I tap into that is his natural strength and his natural beauty and start to celebrate that with him? And that wasn't happening naturally for me. I'll be honest with you. It wasn't happening naturally. And since my husband died, it's really interesting how much our partner, and maybe this isn't the case for you, but it is the case for me, like how much energy went into my partner and making sure he was happy and making sure our relationship was good. And, you know, I'm an anxious person and I have like anxious attachments. And so I was very consumed with our relationship. Is he happy enough? Does he love me enough? And focusing on my husband a lot and it's just when you lose that partner, like you grief kind of does take your energy away, but also I have all this attention now that is being placed on my kids. And that could be a bad thing. You know, you can take grief and you can go in different directions that can be propel you into good and it can propel you into bad really. And I'm really focusing on my kids a lot more in a positive way, not like micromanaging them or now focusing more on their issues. And we need to like double time it and work on it. I'm realizing that life is short and this really does fit into this topic because not to be like a Debbie Downer and I'm so sorry, I'm trying not to be, but I'm just being realistic. We don't know how long we have with each other. We just don't. We don't even know how long we have with our kids. And I don't mean that to be a triggering thing. It's just a reality thing. Life is precious. And I think when you have someone young and healthy, just die the next day, you realize, whoa, like when I wake my kids up, there's a part of my brain that says they may not, they may not wake up. They may not respond. They might, they might've died because like in my head now, that is a very possible reality. And that's what happens. I think when someone who's not supposed to die dies, it gives you the appreciation. It gives you a gift, a gift you didn't want, but it gives you a gift of appreciation that what you have in front of you is a blessing. And yes, it's, it's an imperfect blessing, but these are these are the people that we love and these are the people that love us. And these are our people. And I'm not going to waste one minute being embarrassed about my kids. And maybe you aren't, but I was, or being apologetic or focusing on others. I want to celebrate my kids. And I don't think I would have been able to do it at the level that I'm starting to do it. If I didn't have this really nasty, horrible, grueling wake up call. And I don't want anyone to have that. And hopefully you haven't had something like that, but what are your kids' strengths? What do you love about them? It can be easy. And I did a whole episode on compassion fatigue, you know, like when we like kind of just don't like our kids and that's human. And I speak about things that no one wants to mention because it feels wrong, but it's just reality. And I voice them out loud to, to normalize it for you because no one else is going to do it. Well, somebody might, but they may not do it on a podcast. <laughs> you know, it's okay to feel done with your kids. Um, and I don't want what I'm talking about today to make you feel bad about that part because that's also human. 
And that's going to happen. All of this is imperfect. But I started to hone in on like what I loved about each kid that was them, not what I wanted them to do, but what, what do they want to do and what are their natural strengths and how do I support that? How do I soak that up? And also being realistic with what I didn't really want to soak up. I don't really want to sit there and play with them. I don't want to play board games because I feel like now I have to connect with them. That's not how I was going to connect with my kids. It's just not what I do. Some kids, some parents love to do that. It's not what I love to do. And so I wanted it to be something that I really enjoyed my kids and they really enjoyed me because it was a genuine thing. When you have that, you stop comparing your child to other kids because you see the blessings in the mess. <laughs> I know that sounds so weird. They're diamonds in the rough. And they came with a lot of rough, right? None of us signed up for this, but I guarantee you other people have other struggles that they're dealing with that are equally as bad. You know, and I think we get into this whole, like, is my pain as bad as yours? You have it easier than me. That comparison really sucks because it's not true. You can have a person who has a mild thing going on, but they have no coping mechanisms. And you can have a person who has something really bad going on, but they have really good coping mechanisms. And the person who has something mild going on is actually struggling more. So it's not about how bad is my pain versus yours. It's about how resilient are you versus me and how are you doing? And your pain is different than my pain. We're actually having this conversation with my kids. We have been having some deep conversations. We were talking about this yesterday. They were saying, oh, mom, we feel bad. You had a really rough childhood. I don't even remember why we were talking about this. And I was like, you know, my child, and my child wasn't great, but I was like, you know, my childhood wasn't as bad as some other people's and it was a lot worse than other people's. It's like, you just can't compare it, right? Because my pain is my pain, regardless of whether someone else had more or less pain. It's how do you even quantify that? And I'm going to get into that because that does have to do with resiliency, which is my fourth point, but I'm not there yet. So tap into what, what anxiety and OCD is bringing. That's a gift. And I, you do want in a perfect world, relate some of the gifts that you're getting to your child's anxious personality, because it's kind of like looking at the other side of the coin. I've always said, and I still mean this, even though like my son was at a point at one point, he, he needed to be G-tubed. You know, if he didn't gain weight because of his OCD, you know, he was going to be G-tubed. And my daughter has ruined many very expensive vacations because of her social anxiety and her sensory motor OCD, a lot of issues. but. I wouldn't trade them for the world because some of the qualities that make them who they are, are qualities that come with an anxious person or qualities that come with a person who has OCD. And so I wouldn't trade those things. I wouldn't give up my own anxiety disorder because it's part of why I do what I do as well as I do. And I don't mean to like brag. That's my social anxiety, apologizing for me being confident, but I wouldn't be able to be in tune. I wouldn't be able to like digest things and then spit them back up. I know that sounds gross in a way that's digestible for somebody because I get it. I can put myself in your shoes, partly because I'm in your shoes, but I can also speak to you in a way that I know hopefully you'll relate to because I get you because I have anxiety and that makes me more sensitive and empathetic. And because I get you, because I can read social cues. I can see someone a mile away. That's uncomfortable. I can tell when someone's really not interested in what I'm saying. I can tell when a friendship's fake. I can tell when someone's using me a lot quicker than other people because of my anxiety. So let's talk about what strengths 
your child's anxiety or OCD bring? Yes, it brings a bunch of crap. (laughs) It does. I get it. I'm not talking about that right now. There are some good things. And sometimes when I talk like this, people will actually leave comments and say things like, how do you want me to like, you know, embrace something that's debilitating my child? I'm like, I'm not telling you to embrace the debilitating parts. None of us signed up for that. It is what it is. But my son can obsessively, now, I think sometimes we think OCD equals obsession and it doesn't, but it does bring sometimes an obsessive personality, which is unrelated to OCD per se. Like just being obsessive about something doesn't mean that you have OCD just to go on my side soapbox there, but he will get in the zone and he will obsessively make jewelry. Like he is like researching rocks. He's wrapping rocks. They're amazing by the way. And they're beautiful. He's creating things. And that is partly because of his OCD tendencies that he gets really stuck on stuff and he gets really into stuff. Now it can sometimes go bad, but that's a good thing. the other thing is a lot of kids with OCD are out of the box thinkers. And so they tend to be very intelligent, not always, but more than most have higher intelligence and they're also very creative thinkers. So they can problem solve and they can see things from a different perspective because that's kind of what OCD does. It kind of gives you this different view of things that bring you down, but it can also be a positive. On the anxiety front and a big chunk, if not most kids with OCD have anxiety as well. They're anxious people bring a lot of gifts. Anxious people tend to be sensitive. So my youngest daughter, I don't know what's going on with her, but she's actually more sensitive every year that she grows, (laughs) you know, and she's having a hard time with it because she's so in tune. And she even said yesterday, she's an empath. She said yesterday, mom, it's just so hard when I see someone upset or something bad happens to them. It's not that I feel bad for them. It's that I feel their pain. I think that's pretty articulate for a nine-year-old. And she was complaining about it. She's like, I don't want to be like this. We were watching, I, I think I talked in a couple of episodes that we're like binge watching the show alone, which is fantastic by the way, but she has st- had to stop watching it because we're in season seven. We only have one more season and then it's over. We've caught up, but it's gruesome. There's a lot of hunting in there and it bothers her. Like she bursts out in tears and she's like ruined for the rest of the night. Big, big heart. So I was talking to her a couple of days ago and I was saying, that's a gift. We can learn to control that, right? Learn how to like put that little cocoon so that you don't absorb people's sadness like that. But I said, you're a better friend. You're a better daughter than a lot of kids because you have this ability to connect with people. So these things that I'm highlighting may not be your child's strengths, but you might have to force your brain to think of those things because our brain, a lot of people's brains, mine included, tend to go to the problems the things that are like dragging me down, the things that are taking my time, taking my energy, it's easy to go there. It's human for it to go there. And so sometimes we actually have to push our brain into a different gear and start saying, what are the strengths that actually this anxiety or OCD is bringing that are elements that I like about my child? And and let me focus on those. And how do I enjoy those? And how do I enjoy my child in other areas outside of their anxiety or OCD? When we do that, we do stop comparing because yeah, my child may not actually give you an example today. My 17 year old, 
She needed to get her permit for her senior year parking. Woohoo! I am so excited that she's actually going to drive herself to school, which took a lot of work from her, a lot of exposures, getting back in the car over and over again, me buying her Starbucks on the app and saying, okay, you have to go pick it up now. And she, she did that. She continues to do that. But, you know, we went and I was the only parent that was like going to the school with her to get her permit while everybody else, there was like three different teenagers that were there by themselves. And it's like, why can't my kid do this by herself? Why do I have to drive all the way to school with her and do this? But then, you know, I said, one, it's been really fun. Her school's half a half hour away. And it's it was nice to connect with her and spend time with her. And two, she's at least driving there. You know, there are kids that are not even driving there because it's too much. They're not even getting their permits because that's too much. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with them. It's just me celebrating how far she's come and how there are other kids. There's always kids who are doing better and worse. And it's not a stagnant progress, right? It's dynamic. It's constantly changing. And so what is today will not be tomorrow with our kids. So yes. Oh my gosh, my child can't go to kindergarten or they can't function at a party. That's not what's going to necessarily be there next year. The kids I have today are not the kids I had last year, and they're not the kids that I had a year before. My daughter would not be able to function in the morning going to school. We actually have medicine, PRN, as needed to calm her down in the morning because she normally has panic attacks. And I can compare myself, but now, you know, she was a typical kid. She got her outfit out. She like ate her cereal and she went to school like a typical kid. And so, What is today is not what is going to be tomorrow. And I mean tomorrow metaphorically, not literally tomorrow, but things change. And so getting stuck on comparisons is um, obviously a waste of time because what what is happening in this moment may not be. And then also, just another story. I once worked with a girl in my practice who was killing it. She was a straight-A student. She was in all honors classes and she was in like club club sports and she was killing it in there too. She was like the captain of the team and she was this beautiful girl and she was popular. And you're like, you can look at this girl and you'd be like, oh my gosh, this girl has everything. I don't even remember why I was seeing her to begin with. It wasn't really a big issue. I think it was just more like, you know, just proactive coaching because like these were very go-getter parents. And you would look at her on paper and be like, this kid's got everything. She is going to go to like the best colleges or she's going to, you know, get like a full scholarship, either academic or athletic. And by the time I saw her in, I think it was eighth grade, just periodically saw her, she had completely crumbled. She was suicidal. She was, um, you know, getting like Fs in school. She had dropped out of club. She couldn't function because her parents had put too much pressure on her. And so what is going on in one moment that we're comparing ourselves to our friends or our family's kids is not what's going to be happening in another moment. Not that we want to wish bad on anyone, but every moment is, is dynamic and will change. And I think sometimes we forget that we look at that and we think, Oh my gosh, I wish that was me. And same thing happens with, with adults, right? You can see people in like a fantastic relationship and you can be jealous and be like, Oh my gosh, I wish I was in a relationship like that. And then like two years later, they're getting a divorce and you're like, what happened? That was like, to me on the outside looking in, that was a perfect relationship. You don't know the details. So anyway, so everyone has their issues. Focus on your child's strengths, not their weaknesses. Um, We have to focus on their weaknesses enough when we're doing challenges and exposures and trying to get them to face their fears, but we don't have to 
see that as their whole person. And the third point was the developmental changes that, that our kids are changing developmentally all the time. And so this rat race isn't over till it's over. And unfortunately we don't get to see the whole cycle. So you might have a late bloomer, but then boom, all of a sudden they blossom. And so we have to remind ourselves of that. The last point though, I want to make is about resiliency. We were just talking about that. I know I keep saying that for every point. We've been having a lot of conversations, I guess. You know, when you focus on your kids and you have no distractions, we have a lot more in-depth conversations. It's interesting. So I wonder if that was, actually, that was the same time we're talking about my childhood. I think that's when it came up. And that's what I said. It was going to be related to this. My husband and I were really worried in the beginning. Well, not in the beginning. We, We have always been worried. It's going to sound really weird, but we are always worried because both of us came from rough childhoods. We both, we didn't, it wasn't smooth. People have had definitely far worse, but neither of us had stability, you know, and, and some trauma in both of our childhoods. It definitely wasn't idyllic. And we both, my husband and I were very similar. We just were like very similar human beings. And we both kind of felt like we were the way we were because of the struggles that we had to overcome as kids. We had to grow up too fast. And so both of us channeled that in a very positive way. We became very smart with money because we both came from poverty. We both were very good with stability and structure and our word and routine and predictability because we had none of that growing up. So even though we had two very different childhoods, they both kind of had all those issues. And so we became really good workers. We became go-getters, but we also became really good, I think, parents because we both didn't have that growing up. And so we ironically would worry. We'd both talk about this late at night privately and we'd say, you know, we're giving our kids such a good childhood. You know, will they kind of grow up like we did because they kind of get what they need. You know, we're financially stable. They haven't experienced those struggles. They have anxiety and OCD, but like I mean, I had an anxiety disorder, but like that was like the least of the concerns with me growing up. You know, there were far more bigger, worse things to deal with than my anxiety disorder. No one even recognized it or got me any help. It was like a non-issue. I didn't realize I had an anxiety disorder until I was, I think, in my 40s. That's so sad. When I had like classic major social anxiety disorder, but we were worried about our kids' resiliency. So we were talking about that yesterday. And I I feel like Our kids who have anxiety and OCD are having to face these challenges and struggles, this internal battle that is going to make them do so much better in life. And it's a really positive way to look at it. I mean, yeah, you can argue with me and you can see the negative for sure. And there's the other side of the coin. But if you want to look at the positive side, my kids, they know how to handle things. They know how to handle fear. They know how to do things that make them uncomfortable. They know how to handle struggles and situations that the average nine-year-old or 11-year-old or 17-year-old hasn't had to deal with. And that's, that's the gift that we didn't really want that comes with anxiety and OCD is that if our kids start working and building up their skills, and, and that takes time. So if your child's not working on this, it doesn't mean that they never will, but They're learning how to face adversity and not every kid has that. And we are living in a world that's ever changing. And you just have to like turn on the news to realize that our kids are going to have to be more resilient and 
anxiety and OCD actually help with that because they are learning how to do things that make them uncomfortable far more than the average kid. I'll give you some examples that are a bit weird. We went to Disney World, so now you know why my kids got COVID. (laughs) I'm like, we're just living. I'm sorry. I know that's probably irresponsible. But, you know, when your husband dies, you're just like very committed to traveling, at least in the United States, until things calm down. And I just really want to be in the moment. I really want to live with my kids. And I just want to soak up the time that I have. They're going to grow up and they're going to have their own lives. And that's okay. I'm not one of those parents that's holding on and getting upset about that because I want my kids to grow up. I want them to be successful. But I also realize that we only have now. All of us only have now. And, you know, people have said that to me in the past before I've experienced this grief. And it just like rolled off me like, yeah, yeah, we only have now or be in the moment. Those words and that idea never really sunk in. And maybe it can't unless you've lost someone really close to you. I mean, I've lost my mom. My mom died at 59. And that's a loss, but it didn't hit me like this. And, you know, I think when you have someone in your world, in your house, who's young, go quickly. It rocks everything that you've ever believed in or that it rocks the foundation and fabric of who you are. So back to what I was saying, there's a purpose to this. We were at Disney World and it was hot and humid, not the happiest place on earth. And my kids, I think the average kid, you know, it was like 95 and it was like swampy. If you've ever been there, it's swampy. And of course we're wearing masks because even though we're in Disney world, the epicenter of COVID, we're still careful. <laughs> well, okay. I know you can laugh at that, but we still were wearing masks because that's what we do. And so it was like hot, hot, hot. And you can't breathe. My kids handled that. They handled that really well. Like even I was like feeling suffocated and I was feeling like almost panicky and my kids, hang, they hanged, hanged, hung. <laughs> they coped with that difficulty so well. You know why? Because we were talking about it and they're like, we're used to sitting in discomfort, you know? And we even talked about it and we related to anxiety and OCD exposures. It's like, this is like a big exposure, like sitting here. No, I'm not saying they were like, you know, Mary Poppins happy about it, but they were able to enjoy the entire day. And even though we're saturated and soaked, because they have resiliency. They're able to handle some difficult situations that are unrelated to their anxiety or OCD, but discomfort, right? And so I was talking to my daughter yesterday, I think, when we were talking about my childhood. And I said, we were talking about, I was telling them how like, you know, their dad and I would talk about how we had rough childhoods. I guess that's how it came up and how we were worried in a really stupid way that they were having a good childhood because we feel like we turned out as good as we did, not to brag again, but because of our bad childhood, like it actually propelled us to do better and be better. And that we actually worried that life was so stable for them that would they have that same go-to tenacity that we felt like we had. And then we talked about anxiety and OCD. Actually, my kids brought that up and you know that they're struggling every day and they're learning how to be um, really strong human beings, stronger than some adults, right? And then my daughter also brought up, we brought up like the death and the grief and realizing that that has really like, none of us have asked for that, but the, the, the resiliency that's giving them to go through such a hard thing, young at this young stage of life that nobody would ever ask or want their kids to go through is another thing that's building up their resiliency. And what we, what I'm doing there is how do you take lemons and make lemonade, you know, as cheesy as that sounds. How do you take bad situations that 
we can really be, we can just saturate in the victimhood of it. You know, we can saturate in the victimhood of having a child with anxiety or OCD. We can soak ourselves in the why me's and why them's, you know, we can drown ourselves in the grief, but it serves no purpose only to drown you further. Or we can look at things and say, we did not sign up for this. I did not sign up to be a widow. I did not sign up to be a single mom of three, like overnight. But what are some of the silver linings? And if I can find a silver lining for being a widow, then we can find silver linings for anxiety and OCD too, right? (laughs) You know, like we can literally find silver linings for everything. That doesn't mean that we are celebrating the bad stuff, but it's like, what side of this coin do I want to look at? It doesn't mean that I'm sometimes going to get lost in the bad. This is not perfection, right? I can go way down into the weeds of why me for all sorts of things, for my kids' anxiety or OCD, for being a widow, for whatever, having kids with autoimmune issues. Now my daughter might have Hashimoto's and diabetes on top of celiac. I can go way down and be like, oh my gosh, my oldest has POTS. My son's got Hashimoto's. Now my daughter might have all three. Well, not POTS, but, and, and I can sit there in that grief and you can sit there in that grief. It's okay. And I did a whole, I did do a whole episode on grief and allowing yourself to grieve, you know, the diagnoses and grieve the challenges. That is okay. But we do have to peer over and look at the other side of the coin. What gifts are they bringing? You wouldn't think death brings any gifts, right? I mean, we would think that's firmly in the no gift department, but I have to look at some of the gifts that it's bringing in order to see the silver lining, in order to move on and to function and to say, I didn't ask for this to happen, but you know what? I'm really focusing on my kids and I'm in the here and now, and I still have nine more years with my youngest, one more year with my daughter, my oldest, and what, uh, seven more years with my son. And so I'm glad I woke up before they were fully gone to soak them up in a way that I was not soaking them up before. And I wouldn't even be aware that I wasn't soaking them up if this hadn't had happened. My kids are going to be resilient. They're not going to be victims of this. And so that's what you have to ask yourself, you know, is how am I going to look at this? Not always. Please have your days because we all do, right? I have days where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a hypocrite. I'm in such a deep, dark place. And I have, you know, and sometimes it can change. I can have that tonight. I could be in a deep, dark place tonight and cry myself to sleep. Probably will actually, but I get up, dust myself off. And I say, how do I want to look at my day? And sometimes it'll be an ugly day. It'll be an ugly three days, four days. But then I look at the other side of the coin and I say, what are some of the gifts that life is bringing me through this? And then I try to soak those up. And I hope that you'll try to soak those up too, because that's all we have in life are those moments. And we are brought enough bad, right? We don't ask for that, but we're brought enough heavy stuff. And sometimes it's not going to be automatic, but we have to force that gear to get into that, you know, shift that gear. I don't know why I'm like really about the gears today and flip it and look at the other side. That's not automatic. That's something that you manually have to do. And I hope this has been a little inspiring because it's good for me to hear it and talk out loud too. This is very therapeutic for me. (laughs) So thank you for participating in my therapy for today. I hope you're enjoying the podcast because uh, my hope is that not only do I help you with your child's anxiety or OCD, but I just hope that I am inspiring you as a human being because that we can all use a little inspiration, right? So 
I do want to ask if you are enjoying the show and you find it valuable, please don't forget to hit a star. If there are stars where you are consuming your podcast, um, depends on where you're at and leave a review uh, so that other parents can see that there is some benefit to the show. The show goes deeper sometimes than just anxiety and OCD. I was researching and I realized there are people leaving reviews on other sites other than iTunes. And so I apologize for those people that I don't read your reviews. I do want to read a couple that were on Audible that I've never seen and say thank you to username is college interpreter. And they said first, not last. This was the first episode I've listened to, but it won't be the last. And Lily H wrote what I need right now, struggling with OCD, my five-year-old, and I'm so beyond grateful for this resource. So thank you guys for leaving those. I left them way back in February. I apologize for not reading them. I'm not catching all of them on different platforms, but when I do find them, I will read them and maybe I'll be reading your review next time if you leave one. Uh, I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. Don't forget to join me in my self-care series. I think it's a really poignant thing, especially for this episode. Um, You can go over to atparentingsurvivalseries.com and I'll catch you over there. And until next time, I'll see you on Tuesday of next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 